Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is May 30th, and this is the Wednesday healthcare edition of the show. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I have healthcare specialist Todd Campbell on the line. Welcome to the show, Todd. Hi, Christine. Are you dusting off your foam fingers and uh, getting all your pennants ready for the, uh, the big conference next week? Oh, man. So I'm looking at Austin, our, our man behind the glass, who is currently behind the glass, and he's like back there fist pumping because he's got his Caps jersey on. I'm like, oh, you must be talking about hockey playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. The other most important thing, you know, the, the sport even, of investing, of the conferences. The even bigger, more widely followed ASCO conference. <laughs> Yes, you're right. The American Society of Clinical Oncology has their annual meeting slated for June 1st through 5th. So that is coming up and hotly anticipated. Yeah, and we're looking forward to it. I know that um, I've I've talked to some of the other fellow fools that, you know, focus on healthcare, and we've got some great content we'll be providing people throughout the course of, of the main event. Yep, and it should be pretty exciting. So this is one of the biggest investing conferences uh, in the healthcare sphere of the year. And there's typically a lot of excitement from investors both during the conference itself, but also leading up to it when companies release the abstracts of their presentation. So the first story that we want to tell today is about Loxo Oncology. Their ticker is L-O-X-O. This company was a wild success last year at ASCO. And this year, it looks like they're going to steal the spotlight again. The stock has already enjoyed a nice 20% pop when investors got a peek at their abstract. Why were they so excited? Not very often that you get um, to be the MVP two years in a row of the ASCO conference, but Loxo Oncology has an opportunity to do that. And one of the reasons I think people are so excited about what's going on at Loxo Oncology is that they're part of this new class or approach to treating cancer patients that is focused less on the origin of where that cancer is starting, so the pancreas or breast cancer or lung cancer, and instead going right to the root root cause of the cancer. So looking at genetic abnormalities or mutations, or in the case of LOXO, looking at these genetic fusions Yeah, this is a pretty interesting new approach, and it falls right into the broader trend of personalized medicine that we're seeing. So the abstract specifically that came out on, I think it was the 17th of May, so a couple weeks ago, was data from a phase one trial of a drug called LOXO-292. And this is for tumors with a mutation in the RET gene. And so a little background on the science here. The RET gene contains the instructions for making the RET protein, which receives signals for turning on other proteins. Basically, why this matters is that a mutation here can cause cells to grow abnormally and lead to cancer. So the drug they're working on is being studied across several different cancers, non-small cell lung cancer, papillary thyroid cancer, and medullary thyroid cancer, all specifically looking for mutations in this gene, as opposed to, like you were saying, Todd, as opposed to just saying, we're going to treat it based on the location of the cancer. Instead, it's about the genetics behind the cancer itself. And it's, it's so exciting. It's such a, a major advance to think that we've got enough insight now into, into how our genes work and, and what, how they contribute to, to cell function that we can, we can start to design some of these precision medicines that they really are going to have a much better likelihood, I think, of working, especially within uh, late stage patients who really don't have a, a heck of a lot of other treatment options. 
you know, much like um, the first drug that, that got them the MVP at ASCO last year, which I'll call Lero, Lerotrectinib. Um, this is going after fusions, so gene fusions that aren't supposed to occur. And, you know, they don't happen very often, right, Christine? But, you know, cancer is so common that even when you're talking about, you know, 2% or 10% of a particular cancer indication being tied to these RET fusions, these abnormal RET fusions, you're still talking about a relatively, you know, substantial patient population, you know, thousands of patients. Absolutely. So just to put some numbers behind what you were just saying, so only about 2% of non-small cell lung cancer cases have this RET mutation, but because there are estimates that 234,000 people will be diagnosed with lung and bronchus cancer every year, even though just 2% of those patients are likely to have a RET mutation that this drug addresses, you still end up with an addressable patient population of about 4,600 people, and that's just in that lung cancer indication alone. Uh, so these numbers vary when you look at the other cancers as well. But overall, as you were saying, there are a lot of people that could benefit from this drug. Yeah, I mean, RET fusions, I mean, they're most common in thyroid cancers, uh, specifically medullary th thyroid cancer, MTC. Um, but those are a lot smaller addressable markets. You know, it's, I think it's 10 to 20% of the papillary thyroid cancer market. And that works out to like four to 9,000 people. And then it's like 60% of the MTC market. And that works out to about 3,000 people. I mean, if you mash all of this together, you're still talking about being able to treat, you know, 10,000 patients. And since most of these drugs come to market with six figure price tags, I think that from an investing standpoint, you're looking at this and you're saying, well, not only is this kind of crazy, awesome science, but you're also saying, well, this could be a crazy big opportunity for for Loxo Oncology to to contribute money to the to the top line that eventually, you know, can reward investors with some with some upside. And we've already seen that, right? Though Christine, the shares have absolutely taken off since last year's ASCO, and and then after this abstract drop, they they soared some more. So this certainly isn't isn't a cheap stock for investors to buy. No, it's not. But there's more going on with this company than just Loxo 292 that we've been talking about. You briefly mentioned Laro. Um, Laro Trectinib is the full name, but we're going to go with Laro for simplicity's sake. And this drug is actually a lot closer to making it to market. Yesterday, actually, the FDA accepted the new drug application for Laro and granted it priority review. Now, this is on top of previous designations of orphan drug and also breakthrough therapy. So clearly, the FDA is pretty excited about the potential of this drug, and they should be making a decision on or before the 26th of November. And, you know, it's not just uh, it's not just us investors um, that are excited about the potential of Laro. It's also Bayer. <laughs> you know, Bayer AG went out and actually licensed the rights to, to uh, Laro last November before they even filed for FDA approval because they were so impressed by the data that was presented at ASCO. Again, being able to go out and, and see relatively high overall response rates within a, a small patient population, probably around 3,000 people a year if it, if it gets approved. Certainly an approval, though, would, would be a major step forward in this, in this approach towards precision medicine. And, you know, one just going back really quick to the RET, Fusions, Christine. One of the reasons that you know I'm, I'm really want to focus on on this company next week. I'm, I'm looking through and digesting how how investors and participants um, view the data that they put out there on their RET 
uh, inhibitor. You know, they're not the only ones out there who are working on a RET fusion drug. You also have another company out there called Blueprint uh, Medicines, symbol there is BPMC, that is also uh, putting up some pretty interesting data for their RET mutation drug. Um, earlier this year, they, they made a pr presentation to at another conference a couple months ago. So they, they won't be doing an oral presentation like Loxo is at this one, um, but you're gonna wanna see, I guess, how that all shakes out with, with industry participants. Do they look at the Loxo data after the oral presentation? They say, wow, this data is just so much better than what we've seen from Blueprint. Or do they look at it and say, you know what? I think that the real conclusion here is that both of these RET drugs um, are effective. Um, and, you know, if you look at the data that we've seen so far, Christine, the, the response rates, you know, you can't control, compare trials that are separate directly to one another. It's bad science to do that. But you can look at it and you can say, yeah, they both delivered overall response rates that are, are pretty, pretty high for this kind of patient population. And that, that suggests that they're both effective drugs. Yeah, absolutely. So even though you can't head to head them, people are going to be doing that anyway. But they're so early stage in phase one that the numbers are pretty small. And without a head to head trial, you really just can't directly compare the two. But it will be important to keep an eye on what Blueprint Medicines is doing, because these are very similar drugs with a similar target. Um, also, right. Point out yeah. And Christine, sorry, just to interrupt for one quick second, because I don't want to lose that that train of what you just triggered there. Something to remember there, too, is all these are phase one data. Um, just like with Laro, it's op there's an opportunity potentially to get to the FDA sooner um, based on phase two data because this is such a, a big unmet need in late stage Lyme patients. Yep, for sure. Um, one thing that I do want to touch on again is this licensing deal with Bayer that Loxo has with Laro, their lead drug. This is really important for their funding. So Loxo has not had to dilute their investors in a while. I think it was since uh, the mid-2017, the last time they issued new shares. And hopefully they won't have to do that again, which if you follow along with early stage biotechs, that is very common where in order to raise money and continue progressing the pipeline, companies will need to to issue new shares to raise money. But now with this gigantic German company Bayer backing them, they have a lot of cash coming in from this partnership, which not just will be beneficial for Laro itself as they build up a sales team and build that expertise, but also in progressing the earlier stage pipeline. That's an awesome point, Christine. It's something that we have to remember. I mean, they've got $400 million up front in that deal. They can get another $450 million in regulatory and first sale milestones. And then on uh, ex-US sales, they can get double-digit royalties plus another $75 million in sales space milestones. So you're right. You know, if we get the approval in November on this drug, you can immediately you know, finish the year with a few hundred extra million dollars in your, in your pocket, depending how things go. And that would go a long way towards um, conducting or paying for those trials for the RET, RET drug. Yep, absolutely. So uh, as we head into ASCO, keep an eye out for presentations from Loxo. Their abstract utilized January 2018 cutoff date uh, data, but the presentation itself will utilize an April 2018 cutoff date. So you'll get slightly updated numbers, which hopefully will trend in a positive direction. Make sure to keep an eye out for more coverage on Loxo, on Blueprint, and all the other companies that are presenting at ASCO. That'll all be on fool.com. 
Moving on to the back half of today's show, we're going to continue last week's theme of medical device makers because apparently our listeners were very excited about the medical device makers. We got a lot of good feedback about that. And so today we're going to talk about uh, Abiomed, which is a $17 billion market cap company whose stock has doubled since just January of this year. Both of these companies, Loxo Oncology in the front half of the show and now Abiomed, have been very, very high performers, but they're both kind of under the radar. Abiomed's flagship product line is the Impella Heart Pump, which is the world's smallest heart pump. And revenue has been growing very swiftly with seemingly no no end in sight. Todd, what's your take on Abiomed? I'm so excited to be talking about this stock. And kind of funny, right? When you think about we we oftentimes tend to, to expect the biggest returns coming from the biopharma area, not from the medical device area. When you see that return year to date, it's like, what? <laughs> you know, Double my money in a few months in this company, especially for a company as big as this, right? 17 billion market cap. So you have to ask yourself, okay, well, what's the excitement here? What's the reason for excitement um, at Abiomed and what's the potential for this company to continue to grow and deliver for investors. And I think that, you know, you, you, you did a great job sort of setting the stage here to understand that what they're doing is they're attacking through medical devices, they're attacking a very, very big need for devices that can help relieve the stress that gets put on the heart following a heart attack. And, you know, if you're able to relieve the heart, from that stress of of pumping on its own, uh, either you know prior to or during surgery or in the hours and potentially the days following that surgery, then you know you can get better outcomes. You can have less of a risk of complications, so readmittance, less of a risk of a readmittance back to the hospital after they've been sent home, and you know less less time overall spent within the hospital, which theoretically can save payers some money there too. So. You know, really what we're talking about is the Impella heart pumps. Those are used uh, temporarily from hours to a few different few days, and they're used in patients who are um, at a critical risk. So they've had a heart attack and they're also um, in shock. Yep, absolutely. And this is a very, very large market. Heart disease, as many of our listeners will know, is the leading cause of death in the United States. It kills 875,000 people per year. It costs our healthcare system $555 billion, which is estimated to grow to $1.1 trillion annually by 2035. In that same year, 2035, it's estimated that 45% of the United States population will have heart disease, which is just a frightening and insane statistic. And so Abiomed is estimating that about 221,000 U.S. patients per year would benefit from procedures using their Impella product. So despite seeing double-digit growth for revenue for quite a while, they still have a pretty long runway. They're just getting started. They don't seem to have any substantial competitors. They've got that first mover advantage. It looks like it could be early days for this company. You know, fiscal year 2017, their sales grew 35% to $445 million. In fiscal year 2018, their sales grew again by 33% to $594 million. I think what got people really excited was the fact that that was better than the guidance. The guidance was for 31% growth, 582 million. And the other thing that investors should know is that this hasn't been a profitable company since 2012. So, you know, they're making money. They had 90 million in operating income in fiscal 2017. 
And then that jumped in fiscal 2018, which just finished up, to 157 million, so up 74%. So your operating income grew at a much faster rate than your revenue growth, which suggests to me that as these devices are getting used more frequently, they're able to leverage their fixed costs and really you know, accelerate their profitability for investors. And maybe that's one of the reasons that the company's debt-free and its cash stockpile's been growing for three consecutive years. Yep. And so the stats that I mentioned were U.S. stats, but they're not even just based in the United States. They also are in Europe. They have approvals there. They launched in Japan in September. They have a presence in Germany. And even though expansion is kind of slow and management routinely reminds investors that it has to be slow in order to ensure good outcomes because you need to be trained to use these pumps. It's not something that you can just drop it off and go away. They have the entire world out there that they're just starting starting to reach. And when you think about the demographic trends in general across the entire globe of an aging population, I've said it so many times already just in this this one segment, but they really do seem like they have a huge runway ahead of them. Well, you know, just to put that into context, they're in the fourth quarter, fiscal fourth quarter, the one that just wrapped up, their overseas sales, their ex-US sales were only 22 million. So, you know, a very small proportion of their of their total sales is coming from from the international markets right now and that was up 100 by the way I was up 107% year over year and it was really tied to one country Germany so i mean as japan starts to accelerate as other countries uh, start to get um, uh, more interested in in the opportunity to use impella i think that yeah you could see sales grow substantially the company uh, Christine estimates this is a $5 billion market opportunity, and they say that they're only about 9% penetrated into it. Yep. And the other thing that's important to realize about the business model is that there is recurring revenue. Their hospital reorder rate stands at over 90%. So it's sticky. It, once you're trained on using these, you're probably not going to move to a competitor. I saw on the full.com premium side of things in our Supernova service, an analyst compared this company to Intuitive Surgical, which is the robotic surgery giant. And she pointed out that there were similarities in the business model where you have that recurring revenue. There's a product that will become the standard of care. There's a long growth runway and really solid financials. And I, I like that comparison a lot. I think one more thing to add to the list of why these two companies are fairly similar is a nosebleed valuation. This company is definitely not cheap. They're trading at about 30 times the last 12 months of sales. Their PE is several hundred. Um, and it's that's TTM. It's not even that much better when you look on a forward basis. But they, like you said, they have a very strong balance sheet. They've been profitable since fiscal 2012. So I, I, I see a lot of similarity with Intuitive. Yeah, value investors are not going to be tucking this in the portfolio. So similar to uh, what we were talking about last week on the diabetes show, right? Uh, you know, these these things are are richly valued, um, but that's not a necessarily a reason not to have a stock like this in your portfolio because you need to take that valuation in the context of where. Uh, the stocks, the company's sales could be in five years or in 10 years. You've got to take that longer term look and say, okay, if they're only 9% penetrated into this massive market now, can they grow into that valuation? And I'll let someone someone smarter than me make the answer to that. But I, I am very, very uh, excited by the opportunity to to really improve a lot of people's lives. I mean, this is 
this is a medical device that can save lives. And that makes it, you know, the potential for it to be a, a must-use device in a hospital. It's not a nice-to-have device. Yep, I, I really like what this company is doing. So that will be a wrap for today's show. Any comments or questions, you can always drop us a line at industryfocus@fool.com. We love to hear from you. Let's go Caps. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Harges. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!